I want to start tonight by um, telling you guys a story. Back in 1992, we were in Russia, and it was incredible days. The wall had come down, and we had been invited into an opportunity to plant a church in southern Siberia. And I'm there with our first church planting team, and we're going school by school, holding school assemblies so that they can learn about American culture after 70 years of being blocked out of, the, of knowing the rest of the world. And we would go school to school, and they would have assemblies, and we'd talk a little about American history. And then I was always the guy that would talk about religion in America. And somehow it would always land on Jesus and how they might be saved, because that's what all of us do in America. And uh, so we would give them a chance to respond, and we have old VHS videos of this where everywhere we would go, half the room would raise their hand. If we had 100 students, 200 students, didn't matter. Half of them would raise their hand, pray a simple prayer of salvation. Now, only God knows what went on in people's hearts, but we would then immediately follow up after these assemblies, and in the afternoon, we would have Bible clubs at the school. And one of the schools that we spent a lot of our time at was a school called School 26. How about that for creative naming of schools? <laughs> and at School 26, there was a unique response. I think maybe three quarters of the students responded. These would be like junior high and high school students. And so maybe 100 people came to our Bible club after school. And the principal came. And she had uh, told me ahead of time that she was an atheist and had, was not aware of God. And when the students who, uh, at the end of the assembly, we had given out Bibles that day to anybody that wants them. And they would always take however many Bibles we want. And the principal pulled me aside and she said, excuse me, sir, may I have one of those Bibles? I think that would be quite interesting reading. And I said, well, of course, ma'am. And we had handed them all out, but I found another one, and I gave her a Bible, and her name was Svetlana Petrovna. And Svetlana became a, um, what we always call a woman of peace. She and her husband, Taras, became some of my dearest friends. Her husband had been the former mayor of the city. He was uh, the head of the KGB for that region, and Svetlana introduced me to him. We became fast friends. And any time I would come into town, no matter where our team was, they would want to pick me up. And he would always show up at the same time, forearm, tell him, you're not taking him, I'm taking him. And they would bring me to their house. I'd have to sit down and have a big Russian meal and catch them up on life and always stay at their home. They were dear, dear friends. They're now with the Lord. But it was just one of those beautiful moments. You know, where God says, I'll give you mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters in exchange for your own. So that first afternoon with Svetlana, she came to the Bible club. And uh, that day we were just talking on prayer, that you can pray, you can talk to God, <laughs> and he'll listen. And as we were talking it through, you know, different questions about prayer. And then Svetlana surprisingly asked a question. And she says, does God really answer prayer? And I said, well, uh, Svetlana, what is your prayer request? What is it that you want from God? And she said, my grandson, Anton, has been sickly from the time he was born. He's about two and a half years old now. And they are very concerned of whether he'll make it. He has a fever of 104. This has happened many times. 
They're, they've been to hospital and back, and they're, 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 they're just hoping for his little life. Could you pray for him? And I said, yes, well, of course. And, and while I'm talking to her about her prayer request, I've only had this happen a couple of times in my life, I was reminded of a story from John chapter 4. I want to read to you because I read this story out loud to her and the group that was there. This is Jesus uh, uh, interacting here with her. the royal official said to him, said to Jesus, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. And he was now going down. His slaves met him. His servants met him saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed, he and his whole household. I read this story, and just coming up out of my spirit was, Svetlana, God is healing Anton, her grandson, now. Now, everyone, just everybody look at your watch. What time is it? It was four in the afternoon. And I said, Jesus, now break the fever. Now heal him according to your word that this household might believe. The next day, Svetlana finds me uh, in town, just overwhelmed. And she said, Anton's well. Anton's well. The fever broke. He, he's well. He's up and he's running around like he never has before. He said, your Jesus answered that prayer. And I said, what time was it, Svetlana? She said, it was 4 o'clock. <laughs> he did it when you said... And then she said, my grandmother used to tell me stories about God, about growing up in the Russian Orthodox Church. And, and, and I, I remember that she had talked about bat, being baptized. And of course, my family did not let me be baptized. But would you come and baptize Anton? Now, I don't know where you are theologically. <laughs> For me, uh, I am solid on this understanding that when you believe, you're baptized in the name of Jesus. There is an appropriate place where we dedicate our children to the Lord as Hannah dedicated Samuel. But in those moments, it's not time for a theological discussion. I said, of course, Svetlana, I'll be there. When would you like to do it? She said, well, we're going to gather. Uh, she said, I want to do it on Friday night. She said, what do I need to get ready for the baptism? And I'm thinking, let's see, you need a water basin and a towel and you and all of your family and extended family, as many as you can, need to come to this baptism. And she said, okay, great. So Friday night comes, and there are 25 of her, her family members, cousins, and relatives all there for Anton's baptism. And I get up, and I explain. I read from the Old Testament about uh, Hannah dedicating Samuel. And I said, what we're going to do here uh, this, this evening is we are going to dedicate Anton to the Lord. But there will come a day when Anton believes in Jesus himself. And then he will be baptized in immersion as they did in the New Testament. And I read that scripture. 
And I said, but what Antone would want you to do right now and what God has for you is an opportunity for you to be saved and you to be baptized today. I share the gospel in depth with the whole household. I say, if you want Jesus, bow your head and pray after me. And all 25 prayed with me a simple prayer saying yes to Jesus in that moment. Now, again, only God knows the sincerity of each one's heart, but many of them had tears. I had the privilege of baptizing a few of them as well. And for Svetlana and Taras, that was their day of salvation. Isn't that amazing? What we were in in that window was what's called a kairos moment of God. The scripture describes that as the now time of God. We've got the chronos time. That's like minutes and, and, and hours and days. And we're all marking time. We live, we die. That's the chronos of God, the chronological time. But there's kairos moments where God shows up for such a time as this. And you want to be sensitive to what's that kairos of God. If I would say tonight, you're in a kairos moment of God. You're here this weekend by the sovereignty of God. You're here. It's a kairos moment. You want to respond in that kairos moment. And many of us who went into Russia during those days, there was literally across the body of Christ, everybody had this sense, we have a five-year window. For the next five years, the doors are going to be wide open. There won't be any closed doors, and we must come in with the body of Christ. And you know what? This was probably the greatest response of the body of Christ that has ever happened in world history. Literally thousands of people came in planting churches, establishing the life of Jesus. That five-year window was amazing. And the reason it was so important that we didn't just come in preaching, we didn't just come in teaching, but we came in to plant churches is so that we could put roots into the soil, that people could gather in the name of Jesus, holistically have community so they couldn't be rooted out when the laws and the authorities began to get tougher and tougher. Why we plant churches and not just do good is because because the body of Jesus must be represented in a life-giving, reproducing Acts 2, 42-47 way so that when the enemy comes back in like a flood, it cannot be rooted out. That happened in Russia. And again, slowly but surely, laws got tougher and tougher. And two years ago, they declared that there would be no proselytizing in the streets. Nobody could meet in house to house unless they were already registered. But during those 1990s, we all registered our churches in a right way, and they can't be rooted out. During that Kairos moment, that five-year window, somebody sent me a prophetic vision that a man named Hudson Taylor had had in 1855. Hudson Taylor was one of those pioneer missionaries into China. He had given his life. He had recruited people from all, uh, all walks of life to go into China to be salt and light. They, many of them ended up giving up their lives for the gospel. What's happening in China today was off the blood and the backs of his people that sacrificed their lives. But it was in 1855, God had a vision that he recorded down, and then someone gave it to me shortly after our early days in Russia, and here it is. He said, I saw in this vision a great war that encompasses the whole world. I saw this war recess and then start again, actually being two wars. 
After this, I saw unrest and revolts that will affect many nations. I saw in some places spiritual awakening. In Russia, I saw there will be a general, all-encompassing national spiritual awakening so great that there could never be another like it. From Russia, I saw the awakening spread to many European countries. Then I saw an all-out awakening followed by the coming of Christ. When I read that, I wept. I said, God, this is not a Kairos moment just for Russia. You've raised me up for such a time as this. You've raised up this generation to be a part of a spiritual awakening, an outpouring like none in history to bring the crescendo of world history so that Jesus can come again. In 2015, we gathered in Colorado as the Antioch family, Antioch movement community, our leaders, and there was such a deep sense of urgency for world evangelization, and we felt again, it was a five-year window from 2015 to 2020, it was critical worldwide, and we must be about our Father's business, and we must go for it. And during that time, as a part of God's just affirmation of this, of, of this five-year window being so significant, we saw a dramatic healing of one of our dearest and long-term missionaries, Brett Franzen. And Brett's here tonight, his family's here tonight, and we are so proud of Brett, Jackie, and their kids and the way that they've laid down their lives for the gospel. But what many of you don't know, Brett had for 28 years a, a neck injury in such a way that he was in pain 24 hours a day. They built and saw the church of Jesus emerge out of Mongolia and then through India and different places around the world in the midst of even the pain and turmoil that he carried. It was amazing. It was a miracle of God. But in that gathering, Brett was healed in one evening. After 28 years, he was totally made whole. And that was a sign and a wonder to all of us that it's time to run. Brett was barely walking at times. But now that he's healed, he's like the Energizer Bunny, right? <laughs> and I believe it was a sign and a wonder not just because God loves Brett, but God loves all of us in the Antioch movement to tell us, now run. Run with your brothers. Run with your sisters. Now's the time to run. Now, I want to revisit that in a moment, but let me take us way back to move us way forward tonight. Let's start in Genesis 1. <laughs> Can't get any farther back than that. Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, let there be light. There's a timeline of history, and history begins, and then throughout this timeline, then you see the, the wrestle between Israel and Babylon. The Babylon always represents the world. Israel represents the people of God. You see this throughout the Old Testament. When Israel flourishes, people flourish. When Israel flags, Babylon rules and reigns. And that's always the wrestle between the world uh, and the people of God. And then you see Jesus. Jesus comes. And this is the turning point of world history. When Jesus came, it's the turning point of world history. Through the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, hope now came not just for the Jew, not just for Israel, but now for all peoples. 
You are here today loving Jesus, living in the presence of God, having access to the fullness of God because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. World history became now God for all, not just God for some. And the whole world acknowledges that it is 2019. They are representing before Christ and in a Latin term that means the birth of the Lord or the year of the Lord, A.D. So we are now living since Jesus was born 2019 years. So whether it's Al Jazeera, whether it's in Budapest, whether it is in Latin America or anywhere in the world, it is 2019. So the whole world celebrates the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and doesn't even know it. <laughs> this is how critical... Jesus is to mankind. All of history is defined by this moment. So fast forward, and again, for you church historians, I'm leaving out a lot of great people, so hang with me. As the Roman Empire was falling apart and the barbarians were ravaging Europe again, God raised up the Celtic peoples, the Irish, and he not only raised them up with the message of Jesus, but this wild clans of people, they took music and arts and entertainment and education, and they began to spread back over those areas that the enemy had taken over and destroyed. And as the uh, uh, secular historian Cahill said, the Irish saved civilization. And it was a 300-year run of men and women who were passionate for God and giving every gift of, uh, back to the people uh, of, the, of the Europe and the world around them. And the church was gonna, again rooted and established for the glory of God. There were some difficult years that, and turmoil that went on, but at the end of the uh, late 1100s, early 1200s, uh, a guy emerged, St. Francis of Assisi. Many of you guys are familiar with his name. St. Francis of Assisi had this vision from God to build the church of God. And he uh, thought that God was telling him to leave his wealthy uh, um, uh, father, to leave uh, all the things that could be, and to follow God and literally to rebuild the broken down church at the edge of town. And he went down and he started like a, a, doing masonry work and started rebuilding this physical church. But in the midst of it, he has a revelation of Jesus and he realizes Oh, this building is important, but you're saying build your people and care for the poor and care for the sick. And he gathers some friends, a, a men's order, eventually a women's order, and they become these missional monastics going again all over Europe and reestablishing not just Jesus, not just the church, but reestablishing all of society for the glory of God. Fast forward then, we have what's called the Reformation in the 1500s. A man named Martin Luther locked back into a truth that had been lost. You see, people had thought that now we get saved through the church. But we don't get saved through the church. We get saved through Jesus and that we become the church. And so Martin Luther reestablish this idea that the just shall live by faith, that every individual must come to God. Do you know that nobody can stand before God on your behalf? We can pray on your behalf, but you have to come to Jesus. It's your relationship with God that's the make or break of your own life. It's your relationship with God that then makes you a contributor. And these reformers, they begin to believe not only that the just shall live by faith, that every individual must respond and begin to preach the gospel boldly, but they also believe that all of life was worship. 
and they began to reestablish education. Every church they planted had a school attached to it so that men and women and little boys and little girls could learn to read. And you know what their motivation was? So they could read the Bible. Because if they read the Bible, they could get whole, and if they could get whole, they contribute to society. And everything began to uplift everywhere they went around these Jesus people because they believed that all of life was worship. Do you know, whatever it is that God's called you to, if it is righteous, godly, it's worship to the Lord. And there was a radical move. The Reformation swept across uh, the world, and specifically the Western world. So by 1900, one out of 40 people were now naming the name of Jesus. From the 12 to the 120 on the day of Pentecost to this move of God's spirit throughout history that it would be, the, the, the scales would go up and up and up and up and now one out of 40 knew Jesus. But there was a, again an awareness that that's not okay. Jesus didn't die for some, he died for all. And so the missions movement began to take on another clarity and that was this, is that who are those other 40? If we're the one, who are the other 40? Who are these peoples? Who are the, who are the peoples of the earth that have, do not have the gospel? And people, student, things like Dana mentioned this morning, the student volunteer movement, students saying, we'll give the best years of our life. We'll give our 20s and most of them the rest of their lives for the glory of God, for those who've never heard. And the coastlands begin to be reached and the inlands begin to be reached and the tribals begin to be, be reached. Fast forward all the way to 2000, and by the year 2000, one in eight people on the planet would in some way say they related their lives to Jesus and his work. Isn't that amazing? So here we are, but it still wasn't enough, and it's still not enough because Jesus died for all, not for some. And so 2003, a group of people gathered together and they said, all right, who are these peoples? The scripture says that every tribe, tongue, people, and nation must be represented at the throne of God. The end can't come till everybody hears and everybody has the opportunity from every tribe, tongue, and people. And so they gathered together and they figured out there's 3,100 people groups around the world that have no gospel witness. Their people, even these people groups of a million people, have never heard of Jesus never responded to the gospel. At year by year, they would bring this list to a group of people. We jumped in about five or six years ago, and we would get in a room, and we would say, who knows these people groups of the Mongol descent? Who knows these people groups in, in Africa? Who knows these people group in India? And we would send our people out looking for these peoples. And we had many of our people be, have the opportunity to be the first people ever to share Jesus with somebody and see somebody come to the Lord and start a little house church. And we began to lock arms with everybody around the world and say, all right, God, help us get to that number. And by this fall in 2018, when we gathered, that number went from 3,100 to 343 groups. And here we are. 343 groups, and there are several hundred of us there from all the mission agencies around the world, and we're saying, man, we're almost there. We're almost there. What can we do? What can we do? And what we would always do is, is go through the list and talk about where we already were doing stuff. God was already at work. That dropped the number to a couple hundred, and then we got down to a couple hundred, and we said, all right, in the next two years, 19 and 20, 2019, who's going to commit to engage this people group, whatever it costs, whatever it takes? You're going to send laborers in there. We're going to get the scriptures uh, 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 scriptures in there uh, uh, 
language. We're going to get a, somebody come to the Lord. We're going to start a house church, a body, a believer, a Bible. How are we going to get that in? And we divvied it out among us, and at the end of the conference, all were taken. A commitment to engage the last people and voices on the earth that will be represented before the throne. Now, again, for you missions enthusiasts, this is like, oh, my goodness. For those that are new to the game, just hang with me. And we're standing there in Southern California uh, at Saddleback Church, and, and we're all standing there, and it's like, oh, my goodness. For the first time since the Tower of Babel, since the scattering of the languages, there will be the opportunity for every tribe, tongue, and people to be represented at the throne of God. We're in that kind of a moment. We're in a crescendo of world history. It's like none other we've ever experienced. This is a moment that God has spoken of through eternity, and we're standing at the precipice of the end of world history. So let's go back. It's 2019. That's the amazing news of, of where we are. But, but it's, as we would say, it's the beginning of the beginning of the end. Because many of these people, there's still 2.3 billion people that haven't heard. There are literally millions of people under that deal. They may have somebody who knows the Lord in their language. There may be a representative. But there's a million other people that have never heard. We were in Indonesia last summer. We would go around, and for me, one in ten had never heard the gospel. Many of them had never heard the name of Jesus. We just had a team just get back from one of the more challenging Muslim islands that has a few believers. They went, and they, saw, they, they, they witnessed to 64 people, and none of them had ever heard the name of Jesus. So it is not finished. There is still what I call the belly of the beast. There are those 2.3 billion that matter to God that are being broken and ravaged by sin who desperately need Jesus. And as I said to us as the Antioch movement, and I'm speaking to our own here, um, you know, we had this word in 15, and I think we've been jogging, not running. And I don't have a word for anything after 2020. So I'm living like there's no, nothing past that. <laughs> because you see, when you live like that, you live differently. You think differently. You run different. You make decisions. The urgency of the hour causes you to focus. I am not predicting the end of the world. I'm not saying it will all be done. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is the Holy Spirit is highlighting these next two years to run like you've never run before. He's highlighting these words to get right with God like you've never gotten right before. Whatever you do, the time is now. It is a Kairos moment in God. For us in America, it's a Kairos moment in God for the church around the world. It's a Kairos moment of God. These doors are open all over the world. But what happens is in a moment, these doors close. You see, there's this deal called the enemy, and he's always trying to steal, kill, and destroy. When these doors in Russia are open, if we go in and we salt and light everything, then he can't, be, he can't come and steal it. It's still going to be rooted and grounded because we went into that gap. And these gaps in the world demand laborers. When it, we are saying laborers for the harvest, that is not just a motivational speech to get you to do something. It is truly the strategy of God to get his people in those spaces before the enemy closes the door behind them. 
And even where we've made inroads in the world, if we do not go and continue to press into it, these things will close overnight. It's devastating when an ISIS comes in and ravages the Middle East. It's it's devastating. Millions of people's lives are destroyed when we're not in there at the level that God's called us to be, to be laborers for the harvest in this hour. So what do we do? So what do we do? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Now I'm ready to preach. That's the introduction. Take a little sip of water as a break. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, having such a great cloud of witnesses. What I know tonight is that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and me. Isn't that amazing? He is praying for you. He is praying for me. And he's praying, Lord, let him get it tonight. Let him hear my voice. Let him surrender. Let him trust me tonight. Tonight, let him trust me. Jesus is interceding for you. He knows your uniqueness. He knows who you are. He knows your struggles and your challenges. He loves us, and he's pursuing us by grace tonight. And I believe, theologically, that the Apostle Paul's in heaven saying, come on, come on, we can do it. I started this. You guys can end it. (laughs) I believe St. Francis of Assisi. I believe the, the Celts and the Moravians and the Wesleyans and all the people of history are saying, come on. You can do this. You're almost there. If you could just see, we're just almost there. Come on, get that end time harvest. Just do it now. I think they're all cheering us on and saying, come on, listen to Jimmy. (laughs) Maybe the book of Romans says it better. Romans 8, 19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Mm. That's the groaning it talks about. The, uh, the that uh. you know, have you ever just been embarrassed? You just wanted to go, ah! You just, I just did it, I guess. And you, you, you <laughs> embarrassed to do it, but there's the groaning inside of you. I want to be his. I want to be fully in. I want to love you. I want to know you. There's just that, uh, that's the groaning. All of creation waits for the revealing of the sons of God so those groans can go up from every people and every tribe and every tongue and the ravaging and the stealing and the destroying would end because we, the people of God, have awakened and run into those gaps of brokenness at such a time as this. So there's a great cloud of witnesses. There's a great testimony before us. But here's the admonition Lay aside every encumbrance in the sin which so easily entangles us. An encumbrance. It's different from a sin. An encumbrance is like a distraction, right? Something that inherently may not be bad. It's just a distraction. It'd be like obsessive social media, right? That's an encumbrance. When you spend two hours watching other people's stupid lives, that's an encumbrance. 
Somebody showed me this vlogging, I think it's called. I, you know, I'm so out of it. They said, watch this vlogger. And he's going around, hey, look at me. Hey, whoa, look at me. I spin my head. I stand on my head. I ride a skateboard. Hey, look how great I am. He said, millions of people watch this guy for two hours a day? Embarrassing. So <laughs> there's basic encumbrances because we're bored. The kingdom of God is not boring for those who are living it. For those who are living it, you are praying for the sick. You are rescuing people. You are loving people in the name of Jesus. You are making a difference. You're going to work saying, I'm going to change this space for the glory of God. You're a kingdom person, and when you are, you're alive. You have purpose and plans, and you don't have time for foolishness. That's what encumbrance means. It's, it's foolishness. Let me take it to another level of encumbrance. Jesus was very direct of what was needed for you to be a kingdom person, a salt and light person. And he, he told his uh, original disciples who were fishermen, he said, come, follow me. And they left their vocation. They, they literally left their nets and they, they followed him for a season. And I believe with all my heart that God is redeeming vocation. The word vocation is actually a Latin word that means calling. A vocation is a calling from God to do thus and so. But there has to be a letting go of your vocation to lay hold of God's vocation. There's seek first the kingdom of God. And uh, I've never met anybody that didn't lay it down before God reignited it for his glory. You can't decide what your vocation is. Let God decide that. But you got to let go to lay hold. So Jesus addressed that so that they could be fishers of men. They had to be willing to, to let their vocation be whatever God wants. And by the way, I just want you to know that world mission is related to this idea of vocation. We need engineers. We need doctors. We need lawyers. We need uh, pilots. We need mechanics. We need construction workers. Everywhere we need you to take up a vocation. But by the calling of the Lord to fish for men and to make disciples and to plant churches, not for self. And that's what Jesus was dealing with. So we have vocation. Then Jesus speaks uh, to his followers about relationships. We've talked about it a couple times. Whoever will leave mother, father, sister, brother, follow me. And that does not mean if your family's godly and your brothers and sisters are godly and honor God, that's not what it's talking about. What he's saying is leave the relationships that are keeping you from me. Let me say that again. Leave the relationships that are keeping you from Jesus so that you have life in you to be able to give back to them in their time of need. You can't hold on to them in Jesus. you got to let go to lay hold so that you have power in your life to give back. That can be an encumbrance. Finances. Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler and it says you can't find the kingdom and take all your money with you. And that does not mean that God doesn't use resources. It takes money worldwide to do all the things that God wants to do. It is a, that God is into revenue and all the good things of it. But if your God is money, you won't find God. If you put your hope in money, it will take wings and fly away. One of the things that Laura and I did early on in our life was we just sold everything and moved in, uh, to the inner city. You don't need to do that. We needed to do that. We needed to let go of our attachment to money and all that it meant so that we could find the kingdom. And once you let go, God is able to give you everything you need plus, and you may be one of those engine money creators, but it won't be for self. It'll be for Jesus 
and for his glory and for his kingdom, then wealth is rightly used. You got to let go to lay hold in the encumbrance realm. And maybe just a last one, and then you got your own list, and that is reputation. You know, you can't have the whole world, Jesus said. And you'll end up losing your soul. If you, if you love your life, you need to lose your life. And, and so my reputation, your reputation, you know, uh, when I uh, was first trying to learn to share Jesus, I was really scared to share Jesus with people. And there were a couple of reasons. And one was, obviously, I wanted everybody to like me, number one, probably one through five. And then, uh, and I was scared, one through, uh, five, six through ten. And then 11 was, uh, I didn't feel confident. So I got confident, got a little tool to share the gospel, and then I thought, well, I'm awkward starting conversations, so what I'll do is I'll make it easy. I'll get Jesus stickers, big red ones that say Jesus loves you, and put it on every piece of clothing everywhere I go, and then I'm already out there, right? <laughs> Walk up to somebody at the counter, hello, and they're staring down at this big red Jesus sticker. Oh, you're looking at my sticker. Well, I wanted you to know that Jesus loves you. Has anyone ever told you about Jesus? Let me help you understand who he is. Now, I'm sure you don't have to do stuff like that, but I did because I had to get rid of the fear of man so that I could lead people to Jesus. I don't know what your need is, but I have to lose my reputation to actually find Jesus. I can't have both and be okay. These are encumbrances of, uh, from the scripture, and again, just you, you just name your own list. What is it that's blocking you from the sweetness of Jesus, from seeking first the kingdom uh, in his righteousness? You know, one of the most recent things we did was just cut cable and just went to a simpler deal for whatever we need because, you know why? Let me be, let me be honest. Let me be embarrassing here for a minute. I'm 55 years, I'm going to be next week, 55 years old. Hey, yeah, amen. I don't feel bad about that. If you do, that's your problem. I feel great about that. Because the word, the number five in scripture is grace. And so it's a double grace year. It's grace, grace. You're not 55. You missed, you're missing it. It's going to be a great year. It's double grace year. Grace, grace to every mountain. I mean, just, you want to be in my flow. Grace, grace to every mountain. In Jesus' name, I'm 55. All right. So, but the main reason for me to cut cable is that I found myself in my boredom channel surfing. And I want you to know, I didn't, I'd cut TV out for 10 years. And, and I'm like, what in the world am I doing? I, I wasn't looking at pornography, but I was just channel, I was just bored. It could be a documentary, it could be something, whatever, suggestive. And I thought, what am I doing, God? I, I, this isn't me. So I gotta get out of here. I, I gotta get, I can't, I can't do stuff that's an encumbrance. It might be legal for somebody else, but it's not helpful for me. Encumbrances. And now we get to the biggie, right? The sin which so easily entangles us. Sin is, sin demands submission. No sin does not have a price. Every sin has a price. Oh, I got away with just blowing off steam and being angry with somebody. No, you didn't. That person's wounded. There's something that happened there. There's something that's hurtful there. You can repent. You can restore. But every sin has a price. It does. That's why we want to love Jesus and abide in him so two things can't occupy the same space. I would just want to live in Jesus so that I quit sinning everywhere I go. <laughs> but this, this sin that entangles this next level, that's that stuff you've given yourself to that's wrapped itself around you where you don't feel you can get out. 
When I was 18 years old, I was a very new believer, and I was about to go to college, and uh, for all my friends in Austin, let me just say, I love the University of Texas. It was my sin, not yours. Okay. We, uh, we had some friends that went to the University of Texas, and they were all in fraternities, and they do a big party week called Roundup. I don't know if, they, if it's even legal anymore to do it. And... Uh, they would have high school students come up, and we, uh, you know, would hang out with our friends, and they were kind of recruiting us as the incoming freshman class. And um, so we had all partied all night, and I'm standing on the back porch of this fraternity house, and people are pairing off and going in a different direction. I'm standing there just kind of coming out of a drunken stupor, and I'm, and I'm looking around. It's just crazy, wild, trash everywhere and everything else. And first time, I felt like the Holy Spirit ever spoke to me. And he said, look around you. This will be your life if you choose these friends. This is the path of your life. And I'm laying out two paths for you. Choose today. Because you won't have power to choose tomorrow. And I'm standing there half drunk on this back porch listening to God. Didn't even know it. And I said, okay, for me, I needed to go to Baylor because of the relationships that I knew there. I needed to break away from this to get to that. That began the process of untangling sexual sin out of my life and untangling brokenness and untangling stuff because I, I chose this way instead of that way. Do you know that God has a way of escape for you? God has a way of escape for you. Whatever the sin is, God has a way of escape for you. And, and, and the reason we want in this moment is because it's crucial. It's a crescendo in world history. And you don't want to be messing around entangled in sin because you keep falling over. You get going and you fall back down because it's like ropes around you. You can't get out of it. And God says, today's the day. Not tomorrow. Today, if you hear his voice, today's no. Your no creates the power of the yes of God to deliver you and set you free. Romans 13, 11, and 13, 14, do this knowing the time. This is the word kairos, knowing this moment that it is already an hour for you to awaken from your sleep. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. My friends, here we are at this crescendo in world history. It's the kairos of God. Therefore, let us throw off the sin which entangles us. And if you heard several years ago, we did a message on this out of Revelation um, uh, chapter 2, verse 26, where it says, if you'll overcome sexual sin, if you'll overcome it, You'll have authority over the nations. And I want to say to all of us, not just the young, but I want to say it to the old and everybody in this room, the God of sex is, is destroying us where we can't have power to get to the nations because we've given ourselves to it. The people of God have got to say no. And when we say no, there is power from it. I wasn't going to tell this story because I told it two years ago, but I just feel compelled to tell it again. We were in Lesbos, which is in the Mediterranean, the closest point to Turkey where the Syrian refugees were coming through. We had a team down there, and we were partnering with a couple of other organizations. Uh, in the early days, our guys were literally helping people off the boats and helping them get their food and clothing and shelter to kind of get on their way up the trail. And, and it, was a, it was an incredible time. It was a horrible time, and it was a beautiful time. 
And during that time, we had a, a relationships with different friends from different organizations. And one guy was just such a dear friend. It was just like we were long lost brothers. And, and we just took him in and loved him. He had been there months ahead, laid his life down, was laying it all out. We kind of pulled him into our little tribe. And our family showed up at uh, Christmas time. And, and we did this Christmas Eve service for all the workers. And then the next day, we went out into the refugee camps and just went tent to tent with Muslim families and shared Jesus. And it was just a beautiful time. But at the end of this Christmas Eve service, our, our friend, our new friend, he said, uh, hey, I need you guys to come with me. Uh, and this, it was that unique moment where you said, we need to go with him. I, I, he didn't say what for. He just said, I, I just, would y'all come with me? And it was me and two other guys and, uh, on our team. And we, we just got in the car. And it was dark. It was quiet. And he said, there's a place I go to meet with God. I, I just feel that it's important that you guys are with me. And we drive up in the, 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 these dark mountain kind of areas, and, and we park in this place, and you can hardly see. you got to have just a flashlight, and you're, you're going down the little path. And, and we're now overlooking the Mediterranean Sea, overlooking that place where the boats come in, and, and we're way up there, and it's just this dusty little area. And he looks at us, and, and he said, Thank you for coming. Uh, I trust you guys. I know we've known another short time, but I need you, and I... I trust you. And he, he got his cell phone and he said, you see this? It's killing me. Pornography is killing me. God's called me here He's to lay my life down and I'm, it's killing me. And he said, I'm done with it. And he takes the phone and he goes, Rah! and he throws it into the ocean. And we are stunned, not with the act that he did, but with the presence of God. We're just undone. This is holy ground. And we were all in tears as our brother poured his heart out. We gathered around and we all confessed our sin. His humility drew our own sin out as well. And we just said, this is holy ground. As men, we are going to take holy ground back. No, no, now's the time. We're done. Whatever it takes, no, we're going to be men of God. That dear brother is married today, a dear friend of ours. We're working together and co-laboring together because he said no. You have to say no to find the power of God. Today, if you hear his voice, for your sake, for your children's sake, for your life, and for the nations of the earth. Those were beautiful days. I remember just that day before we saw a whole Iranian family of seven come to Jesus. We saw uh, in those tents people healed and delivered and just beautiful outpouring from God in response to holy moments like that. Laying aside every encumbrance, the sin was so easily entangled. Run the race that is set before us. Everybody has a race to run. Everybody has a part in this race to the finish line, if you will. All of us are called by God to be a part of this great end-time harvest. God is opening up the doors like never before in world history, and he's inviting us to run in with him. And my encouragement is whatever you're doing to get in the race, do something different so that you're ready for now. I used to run marathons, or as I say, jog uh, marathons. 
And one year we decided we wanted to qualify for the Boston Marathon. And our first goal was to break four hours, which was quite a feat, by the way, if you've never done it. Uh, try yourself if you think that's a little dill. All right, so, um, and uh, so we were kind of we got under four, and we were kind of dropping our times, getting a little competitive. But the the but to get to the Boston Marathon, it was going to be like a drop of thirty minutes. And so we sat around with our buddies, and we said we want to qualify the Boston Marathon. And our buddy raised his hand. He said, "I'd like to make an observation. We're not just going to tweak the training a little bit and drop thirty minutes." <laughs> We're gonna have to change our whole lifestyle. Like we gotta quit being fat. I mean, we just gotta quit. We can't eat a six pack of donuts after a long run. We're gonna have to do a few different things. We're gonna have to make some radical adjustments because of our goal, of what we're after. I wanna say that this is a moment in history that we're to run. And you gotta be light and you gotta throw off every encumbrance in the sin, and you gotta do something different. You're gonna have to see different, you're gonna have to move different. And these places and spaces that we are offering, I just named a few. We've got a base in Turkey, 64 million people, very few believers, and we're gonna have a base there. What are you doing this summer? Just give me an excuse, I'll overcome it. Listen, you need to be <clears throat> a part of what God's doing. We're gonna be in London. Not just reaching the wealthy, but reaching the people groups. Every nation on earth is represented in London. I, I was in London just a few months ago. I witnessed a, a guy from Pakistan, a guy from Bangladesh, uh, a guy from Oman, a guy from Turkey. They all never heard the gospel. They all joyfully received the gospel, prayed with them, power of God, grace of God. There is, uh, uh, London is a hub that we are going to be operating out of, and we're going to learn how to reach the peoples of the earth in London, Dubai. It's just embarrassing if we don't have at least 1,000 laborers for Dubai. Everywhere you go in Dubai, the peoples of the earth, they are there. If you say, well, my job won't, won't do it, listen, they have the same job in Dubai. Take your job, move to Dubai, live among the peoples of the earth. You have liberty to share the gospel, pray for the sick, and advance the kingdom of God. We're planting churches there. Why not? I, I agree with Dana. The question needs to be, I'm going to Dubai. Lord, is there anything that you'd like to tell me? And if he tells you to stay, you stay, Right? But we have Dubai is wide open. Ching Mai, we just saw from the turndrips. There's Ching Mai. We're going to have a base there. We're going to be back in Bali. We're going to be in the, the Indian islands that I can't say from the stage that are hungry for Jesus, where you can win people to Jesus. You can disciple them. You can church plant. You can be a part of what God has. We're going to be in Guatemala. It's now going to be a mighty sending nation. God's calling us to partner with them. And you're going to be able to use your gifts and your skills. We're going to be in the workplace. We're going to be doing education and healthcare and all that stuff. You name what's on your heart or how you're gifted, and we got a way to send you. I say all that to say this. God is looking for laborers for the harvest. We must open our eyes. We must open our hearts to say, God, we are yours. And if God says, yes, love your neighbor in San Antonio, love your neighbor in Detroit, he's already said that, by the way. And he... and. Pray for them. We've got a big deal going. Um, next week, I'm going to be Washington, D.C., meeting with a deal called All America. So if you're called to America, we're planning on All America knowing here in the next couple of years. This last push, 
This last push, we got a group of people, uh, denominational leaders and large agencies. Everybody's pushing together because everybody believes it's a critical hour. Now, now's the time. So we're mapping out this plan to evangelize all of America, but not just evangelize, disciple, church plant again, re-evangelize America because it's America's hour. We've got to reprieve. There's a little window, but we've got to be about our Father's business. Don't say four months and then comes the harvest. The harvest is now. Greatest injustice in the world is that people have not heard the gospel. Listen, uh, uh, my nephew went down the street to a taco stand a few weeks ago. Got in a conversation with a 17-year-old kid. Ever heard about Jesus? Yeah, I'm, I've heard about Jesus. You ever heard how to know Jesus? No, never heard. 17-year-old kid, through a process there of sharing it with him, the kid gives his heart to the Lord. He'd been in the foster care system. Nobody ever told him about Jesus. Wherever you are, it matters. Where you are now matters. The simple gospel is the power of God. Don't assume that everybody knows Jesus. Just because they have a label or an idea, knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus is what they're longing for. Greatest injustice in the world is that Jesus is not there, wherever there is. All right, last point. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Revelations 3, 7, and 8. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have little power and I've kept my word, and you've not denied my name. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. We've got keys and doors and keys and doors. And, and uh, for us here in Waco, we had uh, uh, Michael Miller from Upper Room was running around saying, if Jesus was here, he'd be running around the room. And he literally ran around the room. And uh, but I thought that's what's happening in every one of our sites. That's what's happening right now. Jesus is handing out invitations and he's handing out keys. He's handing out keys and he's handing out invitations. The key to a neighbor's heart, the key to a friend, the key to a city, a, a, a door that you need to walk through. He's knocking on the door of your heart, a door you need to open to him. Jesus is here. <clears throat> it's all about Jesus. In our Western society, everybody wants to make it Jesus plus, but it's only Jesus. It says in Acts 4.12, there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name by which men must be saved but Jesus alone. Listen, I want people to see Jesus. When I'm with them, I want a, to, to know Jesus. I, I, I want to know him. I want to love him, but I want people to see him. Jesus is the only one, the only one by which all men must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There's not a way. There's not another way. There's his way. Jesus alone, Jesus alone is the only one worthy, is the only one who, who sacrificed his life so that you and I might be saved. You can have conversations with people. You can help people understand, but you don't have to be intimidated. It's Jesus in his glory and in his grace. I, this summer we were in Indonesia, and, and I was talking to a, a lady who runs a little cart kiosk. She and a couple of her family members and a bunch of her kids and everything else, and I'm with a, college, a couple of college students, a translator, and I, I just get caught up talking 
talking about Jesus, and, and, we, and I just think, and I, all of a sudden, I found I'm falling on my knees. I said, and he loves me, and, and when I was 17 years old, he, he, he came to me, and he saved me, and he can save you, and I, I grabbed a little plastic chair, and I said, like this, he's over here. God's holy, and, and you got a, this other little plastic chair, and, and, and that's us, and we're sinful, and you know, we can't get to God, and that's why Jesus died. He became the, the bridge from our sin to his righteousness, from our darkness to his light. He loves you. It's Jesus you're looking for. It's Jesus, and I'm just caught up, and I'm just thinking, I want to get saved, you know? And, and they do too, and, and they all pray, yes, we want Jesus. And, you know, only God knows, but when Jesus is present, he reveals himself. Many of us are so intimidated to share Jesus. You know, they can't take your testimony. If you know Jesus, somebody can try to tell me all kinds of crazy things about their philosophy. They can't take my story. What about your story? I was dead, now I'm alive. I was in sin, and now I'm free. I didn't have peace, now I have peace. I didn't have a Savior, now I have a Savior. And his name is Jesus, and I love him, and he loves me. And you can think whatever you want, but you're crazy. Jesus is wonderful. It's Jesus. And he's looking for friends. He's looking for friends. 1987, when Laura and I first started, we got invited to a little church just down the road here. And there was going to be a man there that was, um, you know, teaching on the glory of God and the earth. And, and we show up at this little church, and there's just like 10 or 12 of us there. But man, it was just rich. You know, he just talked about Jesus. He went way too long, probably three hours. And, uh, <laughs> but you know, he started off somewhere early on talking about Exodus 33, 11, where it says, Moses spoke to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when he said that, I just, I just started tearing up. And I said, I, I want to be a friend of God. I, I want to be his friend. And I, I started thinking about, you know, of course, he already said he was my friend and, and he already loves me and he already sacrificed me, but, but maybe, maybe he needs a friend. Jesus, I want to be your friend. And as the night went on, just the tears got bigger and bigger. And eventually they just, they just left me in a pool of tears. I don't know how long, hours I was there just heaving and saying, God, I want to be your friend. I want to be your friend. Where are you going? What do you care about? Who cares about me? I, I'm just a breath. I'm just coming and going. What do you care about, Jesus? I know you want friends. I want to be your friend. Will you make me a friend? Will you just show me how to be your friend? Would you just take me by the hand? Wherever you're going, I want to go there. Whatever you're doing, I want to do that. But why would I waste my life being anything but your friend? I want to be your friend, Jesus. Jesus is looking for friends who want to just take him by the hand in this hour and say, I'm with you. Where are you going, Jesus? I'm with you. And I guarantee you, he's going to rescue people. He's already rescued you. He wants to keep loving you and healing you. Even, you know, Dana talked about those waves of love. The beautiful thing about being his friend is you're always tapped into the love of God. Those holy moments. But he's looking for friends. I want to end with one last story, and then we'll respond. We have a friend in Indonesia, we'll call him Andy. 
And uh, Andy is a friend of Jesus. <laughs> uh, and our guys became friends with Andy and were investing in his life and as a part of kind of uh, his journey to follow Jesus. He was in a little Bible school and he was, he was finishing up his last paper and his roommates, who's one of our workers, one of our friends, his roommate uh, 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 was talking to him about what are you doing today? So I got to go turn this paper in. And he said, okay. And uh, Andy puts on this, Andy was from a poorer family and he puts on this leather jacket with no shirt on. And in those, in, in, in that particular country, in Indonesia, you, you got to honor those that are older than you and you're going to your professor. So he said, Andy, put a shirt on. He said, well, I don't have a clean one. So our buddy grabs a white t-shirt, he throws it to Andy, Andy puts the white t-shirt on, puts on the jacket, gets on his scooter, which is very normal, goes and turns his paper in. On the way back, it begins to rain, one of those monsoon rains, and so he pulls onto this street where the only one with an overhang was one little particular house, and he pulls onto the underhang, and again, it'd be normal just to park your motor scooter out front and wait for the rain, everybody's fine with that. And a man we'll call Abdul was the man of the house there, and he, he walked out, began to engage uh, Andy in conversation, and, and part of Andy and his roommate's uh, agreement was, hey, we're going to share Jesus with somebody every day, and so Andy said, well, this must be my time, I'll, I'll share Jesus with him. This guy was from a Muslim background. At that time, it, it was a little difficult, a lot of, a lot of Muslims were coming to the Lord, and, and so he said, well, I'll just be obedient to God, and he begins to share about Jesus, and as he does, this guy is like, yes, yes. And I believe in the sacrifice, and I believe in the resurrection, and I believe in Jesus. And Andy's like, are you hearing me, man? And he said, no, I want Jesus. I want him now. And he said, well, okay. And so he prays with him, and he says the guy's genuine. He can tell. He gives his life to Jesus. And then he says he starts talking about baptism immediately. I mean, Andy's like, I don't know what to do. Let's just talk about baptism now. And, uh, and the guy pauses in the middle of this baptism talk and says, uh, Andy, do you know why I'm so responsive, you know? Have you wondered? He said, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to say anything, but you were just so responsive. And the guy said, well, let me tell you a story. He said, six months ago, I had a dream. And in the dream, a, a man showed up in beautiful white. He was a teacher with a beautiful white beard, and he was a, just an incredible man. And, and he's across the room from me, and, and I feel so unholy, so unworthy. I know he's a holy man. I know that he's a teacher. And, and I feel so weak and so small. And he looks over me. And even though I feel unholy, there's something about me that wants to go to him. But in the dream, I say, I can't. And then the dream ends. He said, three months ago, the same man showed up in my dream. A holy man, a, a beautiful man with white robes and a beautiful beard and and I feel unholy again, but he's, he's closer this time. And he's looking at me, and he's waving for me to come to him. But in my unholiness and not knowing who he is or what he is, I, I don't come. And I see sadness in his eyes, and the dream ends. He said, last night, the holy man showed up, and he's standing right by my side. And he's standing right by my side. He puts his hand on my shoulder. And all my unholiness, I, I just know that he cares for me. And, I, and I'm looking up and I'm like, what do I do? And he said, the holy man in kindness said, tomorrow a man will come to you in a white shirt. <laughs> Listen to him. This is the truth. 
So, absolutely. Thank you, Lord. And Andy rejoices with him, baptizes him there right on the spot, reaches out to the rest of his family. God moves in a wonderful way. And since that time, Andy has been a part of two different movements of thousands of people coming to Jesus. It's just been, it's his life. He, he's a friend of Jesus. And I often think of that story and I think, maybe I'm the man in the white t-shirt. Maybe we're all the man or the woman in the white t-shirt. Because Jesus didn't die for some, he died for all. And he's wooing people and he's calling people to himself. And all he needs is us to be there. I could tell stories all night long of experiences I've had, crazy experiences, leading people to Jesus, etc. And they'll say, oh, you know, that's just you. No, the difference is I was just there. Honestly, I'm way weaker than you know. <laughs> but... I just decided to be there. And when you're there, those holy moments of God just seem to dovetail together. Tonight is our final night of World Man Day. And there's been so many different calls from God. But tonight, I want to ask you, Tonight, will you be that man or woman in white for such a time as this? I'm going to run. Laura and I are going to run like we've never run before. We're going to join with anybody that wants to run hard. Anything and everything's on the table. There's a window. And we want to be rescuers in this hour. And we want to be friends with Jesus. We don't want to miss the day of our visitation. Let me pray. Oh, Jesus, we want to be your friends. You've loved us. You've sacrificed for us. You've given yourself for us. And so in turn, we say, take us by the hand today. We want to go where you go. Do what you do. We want to rescue people. We want to run into these gaps of darkness before these doors close. We want this to be the hour, God. We want this to be these hours where those who've never heard would hear and where this crescendo of world history will have a final outcome of your glory. Oh God, may we run in this day like we've never run before. May we love in this day like we never learned before. May we lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And may we consecrate our lives. And Lord, just as you have spoken to us as the family of Antioch, that you are conscripting us for such a time as this. You're, you're bringing us into what you're doing around the world. We want to say yes again tonight. And I pray for every man, woman, child in the sound of my voice. I pray all oh, tonight, Lord, would you come and visit? Would you come and draw and woo and heal and restore and empower in every way for the peoples of the earth, we pray.
Let's all stand to our feet wherever you are. Man, if you want to be a friend of Jesus, <laughs> I just want you to know you can just start coming. But why do we have music in the background or why do we ask you to come forward? It's not for emotionalism. It's not to get you to do something. It's not to make me feel good as a speaker. Oh my goodness, how embarrassing would that be? It's the music's to get you undistracted. The movement is to get you to go, at least in this moment. (laughs) Your response breaks something and allows you to get before God and for Him to work with you. And in this house, that also allows you to get prayed over and imparted to. I believe with all my heart, and we're in a, uh, in a moment we're going to come back around. I believe with all my heart, God's speaking nations. He has been all weekend. You just need to ask him and take that before the Lord. I believe with all my heart, he's breaking sin and bondages. He's been doing it all weekend, but he wants to do a final blow to it tonight. And more than anything, he's looking for friends tonight. And so let me encourage you, just come, make room. Just keep, just push your way up, go up to the top. You may just turn around in your chair and get on your knees. The guys are just going to lead us in a song. We're just going to go with it. But don't miss this moment. Don't miss this now time of God. Now is the time. Not tomorrow if you hear his voice. Today, today, now is the time. Now is a window that he's inviting his friends to run with him into the darkness and to rescue men and women like never before. May we be counted as the friends of God. May we be counted in this hour. May we be counted to be with him and of him and through him for his glory. Spirit of God, come. Spirit of God, come. Come and do all the things that you do. Untangle things and Set things aside and visit people with love and grace and speak nations and hearts. Lord, see your friends calling out to you right now. Come and move. The guys are going to sing, and then as people have different words, they'll release them. But do business with God as I did in that little church just down the road here. And if our leaders just come and pray and just impart grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to do the will of God as we sing.